It's summertime, and that means it's time to get outside and enjoy the weather with some crisp, refreshing Bud Lights. Bud Light has the perfect summer lineup with Bud Light Lime and Bud Light Orange, both brewed with real citrus peels. New and just in time for summer is Bud Light Lemon Tea, brewed with real lemon peels and tea leaves. It's the ideal drink for summer, but it's only here for a limited time, so get it before it's gone. And to really get you in the summer spirit, Bud Light is giving everyone the chance to win the getaway of a lifetime. You can win two tickets aboard a VIP cruise to the Bahamas this summer, featuring a live performance by Jake Owen, and of course, plenty of Bud Light. For a chance to win, simply post your Bud Light summertime photos using the hashtags RealEnoughToGetAway and hashtag BudLightContest on Facebook and Instagram. See BudLight.com slash RealEnoughToGetAway for more details. Support for today's show also comes from the new movie Yesterday. Imagine a world where no one remembers the Beatles except you. From the director of Slumdog Millionaire and writer of Love Actually comes a rock and roll comedy about music, dreams, friendship, and the long winding road that leads to the love of your life. It's yesterday and it's in theaters this Friday. Take Toy Story everywhere with Toy Story Drop, where the world of Toy Story comes to life and the only mobile game fully themed in the Toy Story universe, including the upcoming Toy Story 4. Go to ToyStoryDrop.com slash jam to download to your iOS or Android device now. Welcome to Jam Session. I'm Juliette Littman. I'm Amanda Dobbins. I'm excited about today's show. Great. Um, Of course, we'll be talking about Carly Kloss and Josh Kushner's second wedding. Are we calling it a wedding? Whatever. We'll get into it. Exactly. I would say the entire concept of which we need to deconstruct. You bet. And then we'll talk about the royal renovation that's costing the British people up to $3 million. Uh, We also would like to talk about George Clooney's and Barack Obama's vacation in Mm -hmm. uh, abroad and yield Europe. It's like celebrity lake yachts sure sure yeah yeah i don't even know whether it's really a yacht there's a boat there's a boat involved sure seafaring there's water faring involved and then the hills is back we'll briefly discuss that and lastly i'm most looking forward to this we're gonna talk about some of our summer reads we are indeed i'm pretty excited let's begin with carly kloss and josh kushner's affair like in terms of a party sure a fet in wyoming yes where all of the cool kids go to party. So back in uh, February or March, was it? It's apparently in October 2018. It was October? Yes, they were Holy, married in October of 2018. Shit. Holy shit. Time On like a flying. Tuesday. That's appalling. Um, wow, I feel really shook by that news. Okay. It's not your fault because one would assume that if you're going to have a second celebration for your wedding, you'd do it within, I don't know, three, four, five months. Like it's been it's been basically a calendar year. So some crucial info. Their yeah. first wedding was like in upstate New York, a couple yes. hours outside of the city. This second affair was in Wyoming, which is really difficult to get to. And I just want to say, I'm categorizing both of these as destination weddings. Sure. I'm categorizing them as destination events? obligation events. <laughs> um, I think you can only have one wedding. I'm just going to put that out there. I will give like a special dispensation to like the civil ceremony and the party in Europe or whatever. But basically, you you have one wedding. You, you've just got one. Yeah. Whose Instagram brought this to your attention? Um... No Instagram, because I, I feel like I've done a great job of curating the nonsense in my Instagram. I feel like Derek Blasberg is the original offender here. Uh-huh. And is in many ways like the original offender to... I'm negative on this, in case you can't tell. For a couple reasons... Can you explain who Derek Blasberg is? Uh, I will try. He's sort of... I think someone put it best that he's like the Truman Capote of our generation, except he doesn't write. 
And so there's that. That I thought that was a good explanation. He is kind of like a media figure that has affixed himself. He started kind of in the fashion world and then has become like, quote, best friends with a lot of celebrities. And he has always been closely associated with Carly Kloss. He's super Gawker 2006 to me. He's the type of person that like when media, New York media gossip was first popular on the internet, he was like a, a key figure. Yes. And because I, I think that's also where the center of power was at that time or the center of rich people power. Sure. I'm sorry. Very different from the center of power. And he has then like migrated to Instagram and his Instagram is now just like a ridiculous name droppy, but like photo droppy version of celebrities. And he kind of acts as a connector as best I can tell. I believe he doesn't even work for Instagram. I think he works for YouTube. I think that's correct. Yes, which is like one of those things where I, I think he was like hired so that YouTube can say that they're associated with sure. him. Some elite lines in his Wikipedia page, yes. including uh, during college, went to NYU. Derek Blasberg worked at the model agency Elite Model Management writing bios for the models. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's kind of his, that's sort of his first entree into the model world, which Carly Kloss is still very much a part of. Yeah, he seems to me kind of like, I think there's like a younger character based on him. The guy that they go to, like, their gossip, I feel like is kind of, like, similar oh, to, sort to of. a Derek Blasberg type. Yeah, I was going to compare him to, like, all of the NBA assistants, like, the like the, the Rich Kleinmans of the sure. world. Like, the guy, there's, like, a, a famous person and then a guy who's just kind of in their, in their wake being, mm-hmm. like, the boardroom or whatever. And that seems he just kind of attaches to everyone. And he really always—he has been the most closely attached to Carly Kloss. I believe they're both from St. Louis or Missouri yeah. or something. Correct. They're both, both and from St. Louis. he has definitely, like, coasted on her fame for a long time. So in this case, I guess that he— would it's not surprising that he was there and it's not surprising that he was Instagram. I think everybody else who's there, it's maybe not surprising, but I think less of them for going. It came to my attention via Yael's um, Cohen Braun's Instagram. Yeah. I track her very closely, as you know. And I saw the same photos being posted over and over mm-hmm. again. Like, it sort of was like, I'm curious what the approval process was like. Was there sort of like a blanket you can show yourselves and like X people in the state of Wyoming, but no other specifics? Because most of the specifics have come from Carly Kloss's Instagram herself. Yes. I assume that there was, like, a top-down guidelines for what you can share and when you can share it. And I am sure that one of them includes that you may not include Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner in your photographs. They are in zero photos. Except for the ones that they posted right. to Instagram themselves. Right. But they are, like, very consciously eliminated from all other photographs across all other social media. I was really hoping that they hadn't been invited. Yeah. But it seems like they were. Jared Kushner's face is just the most, one of the most punchable faces I've ever seen. It's unbelievable. It's true. But I think what's interesting is like everyone who else, who is there, Katy Perry, Orlando Bloom. This is a woke fest, 2K19. Exactly. Like Mila Kunis, Ashton Kusher, Derek Blasberg, who's not really politically inclined. But a lot of people who have spoken out politically and who are aligned with like having some sort of social image were also there with Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump. And I understand it's like you go to your friend's wedding and I understand like rich people don't really care behind the scenes, but it's it's a real illustration that rich people like don't really care yeah. behind the scenes. Agreed. Yeah. They're just sort of like, and it's not a great look. Rich stay rich. Yeah. It's, it's tough. I mean, I guess the counter that, to that is like the sort of centrist, well, I reach across the aisle. I've got friends on both sides, but I don't feel that way in this in this polarized era. 
It's a tough look. I don't very really tough either. Look. Like this wedding was happening while all of the headlines about the the children's in camp yeah. camps were happening the same weekend. Like it, no, it's fine. They can be brothers, but like I really just I think less of this whole situation. I completely agree with you. It's a tough pill to swallow. What's the most surprising guest attendee to you? Uh, Wendy Dang being there. Oh yeah, it's actually not surprising because she and Ivanka were close friends. I am just surprised that Wendy Dang is still hanging on and somehow has been transferred and, like, still gets to be friends with Carly Kloss. Very strange. Yeah. Very strange. I was honestly pretty surprised by by Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher. I didn't know they were in this gang. I guess Ashton Kutcher, like, the The investor, investor the the Mr. Pop Chips and and Josh Kushner are friends, I suppose. I I guess guess it's good for business. You know who else was surprising? Princess Beatrice. Super surprising. Yeah. What do you think that connection is? Probably New York, right? Because that's where she lives. I think it's Misha Nonu, who was also oh, right. there. Misha was also there. Yeah, who is the... Is she's Misha a Nonu British? Yes. So she's sort of the British Derek Blasberg. Kind of. But she has her own fashion line. If you followed her on Instagram, you'd know because she's constantly modeling her own clothes. Right. But it's chicken or egg. Did the fashion line come before all of her fancy friends or did the fashion line become because of her fancy friends? The best thing that ever happened to Misha Nonu is the wedding of Harry and Meghan. She mm-hmm. got to be front and center for all of those pictures. And mm-hmm. now and now we're talking about her because we know who she is. I forgot Misha was there. That's kind of like the scooter also. I mean, to me, it's like the, the scooter brawn. Yeah. Mikey Hess. Um, of course. That kind of. It, they're like overlapping spheres of influence Influence, here. yeah. That, that of, cultivates the ultimate influence platform to like let you know that they're a gang. Right. Of people who go on each other's yachts and then marry each other and also apparently like start business lines. Wyoming is tough. I would I would just be like, do you have to do this in Wyoming? Is that really necessary? Also, probably was cold. Like, if I'm taking a trip in June, I don't want it to be cold. I mean, I agree with you completely. As you know, also, there's just, in June, I need to be swimming. And I suppose there's a lake or something there, but it's not really swimming weather. I guess the one thing for it is that it is you can control paparazzi and attention. That's true. It, like, you can actually close off in Wyoming or Montana, et cetera. What did you think of um, Carly Kloss's party dress with the off-the-shoulder kind of, I don't know, this, this to me, it looks like a bed skirt refreshed as a dress, but <laughs> just curious what you think about it. I think it's fine. I mean, she li- can literally wear a tablecloth and make it look good. Or a bed that's, sheet. Like, that's her bed job. Skirt. And I suppose it's, quote, in fashion right now. The group pictures are all pretty lame because everyone is, you know, taking the prairie theme quite literally. And also like prairie dresses have been sort of in fashion for a while, but they all just look like they're wearing, you know, more expensive Reformation dresses all together. And their hair is all the same. It's really, it's tough when it's a large party and everyone is all looks exactly the same and it's like dressed the same way. It's sort of self-incriminating. And that's kind of how I felt about it. Also, Ellie Golding being there, I guess that's another Misha no new sort of British right. scene connection. Yeah, it's weird. And then Katy Perry and Ellie Golding, but no Taylor Swift. Yeah, that's interesting. I guess that's just that's just that's over. done. That's just over. That seems fine. I just really wonder what it, what it was. We'll never know. Maybe we will know. Probably some. not because they are both so adept at controlling their. Well, Carly Kloss is quite adept at uh, putting on an image into the world. I think Taylor Swift is less and less adept at that, but she's not forthcoming. So no, she's certainly, certainly not. While we're on the topic of Princess Beatrice and Ellie Golding, mm-hmm. Ellie Golding, two British people, let's talk about this horror that's occurred for the, ta- the British taxpayer, Meghan Markle and Harry, Prince Harry mm-hmm. of, of England. Sorry, the, the Duke of Sussex. 
they moved out of Kensington Palace to mm-hmm. Frogmore Cottage, which is in Windsor, for more space. But also, it's alleged that there's been a rift between Harry and Will. And as a result, the renovation of Frogmore Cottage cost $3 million. Three million pounds. Sorry, even more dollars. If I were British, I'd be pissed. Would you? Yeah. I mean, this is just kind of a literalization of the arrangement that sure. has existed for, like, a very long time. Sure. And they act as, like, ambassadors and, you know, bring in tourism and, like, all of that stuff. Even the people who are criticizing this are, like, the royal family does pay for itself. But it is it is jarring when, like, the costs and what they actually get away with That's are That's a $5 million dollar renovation. I mean, I, I agree with you. <laughs> And it, the point that some of the critics were making of, like, they could have just moved into an apartment was that was ready because the renovation, it's hilarious. They just had to make a new house. Yeah. Like, literally, there were five individual houses, and they had to put in, you know, new roof, new floors, bedrooms, bathrooms, and a kitchen. And I'm like, okay, what else is left? That's it. That's the whole house. So, yeah, they did just get a brand new house off the taxpayer. I, I mean, it's really it's how weird. It goes. It's really screwed up. But, like, yeah. this is— the whole concept of the royal family is pretty screwed up when you think about it like this. I know. It, it is kind of, it's their job to live in the public eye and as a, and then they get free houses as a result. It's really weird. Yeah. It really makes no sense. I was thinking about this. It's just when the queen, you know, who is lovely or whatever, dies— can you, in good conscience, imagine in, like, 2025 being like, sure, we'll crown a new king of England? Like, what? It's so strange. It really is so weird. And this is, like, this is what's so strange about it. It's just, like— It's you're like, to do what? King of what? Why? Right. And then what is the purpose of it? And why do we need to pay for your, like, floating floor on the kitchen? Do you know what that is, by the way? No, I don't. I don't either. They just—everyone seems very mad about the floating floor that they installed in Frogmore Cottage, and I'm not really sure what it is. I guess it's like a floor above another floor because the old floor is too old or something. If you understand what this is, please let me know. Interesting. Huh. Apparently, per Wikipedia, it refers to the installation method. It doesn't okay. need be too nailed or glued down. I wish they were doing that here at our office where there's rampant construction happening. Yeah. Just a, a lot of lumps for Megan. It's not—I feel bad for her. The other thing is, last week, there was a foundation that the Fab Four started together last year, and it's, like, already kaput. Yeah, that was very strange. Very strange. Just, le- like, let it wither. Plenty of people have, like, shell foundations that do nothing. What do they need to, like, formally close it It just for? seems like bad planning. I'm blaming the flunkies for that. I agree. It's like, you should be able to manage this better. I completely and agree. And you can also just not make announcements about it. Yeah. A $5 million renovation, though. You got to have high-end taste. In some ways, you got to respect it. Apparently, did you see this? That apparently she hired this Soho house. Oh, I saw um, Amanda. The Soho farmhouse designer, Vicky Charles. I sure did. I mean, sounds great. I would love to take a tour of Frogmore Cottage. Me too. I mean, I I guess while they're living there, it won't be on display. But one day it will be. Do you think so? Yeah, I think one day. Maybe they'll do photographs at some point. Yeah. Remember the plan to ship them off to Africa? They're like, they're going to be going on a three-year tour of Africa after the baby is born. So <laughs> offensive. Maybe maybe that offense does happen. There'll be an opportunity for, to show us photos. Who's to say? That would be great. Are you ready to move on? Yes. We're going to talk about George Clooney and Barack Obama's plumbing disaster. But first, let's talk about MAC Cosmetics. MAC Powder Kiss Lipstick is the moisture matte lipstick of your dreams. It's matte reinvented. MAC's new matte formula feels weightless, instantly hydrates, and doesn't dry out your lips. It was originally developed as a backstage trend for a soft matte look, so it's backstage tested and artist approved. It's also Juliette Lemon approved. I happen to love my matte lipstick. It's lovely, goes on easy, and it lasts a long time. 
Many other matte lipsticks are drying, but the Powder Kiss Lipstick is where matte meets moisture. The velvety soft matte colors glide on effortlessly, providing instant long-term hydration that doesn't dry out your lips. So you get the zero shine, smooth look of matte lipstick with the lightweight feel of a balm. The Powder Kiss Lipstick comes in 24 gorgeous colors with a wide range of pinks, nudes, reds, and plums to complement any skin tone. The weightless cushiony texture of the Powder Kiss Lipstick is the perfect way to amplify your look this spring. Get into a totally new lip experience with the Powder Kiss Lipstick. Head to your nearest MAC location to meet your matte today or shop at maccosmetics.com. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done, ZipRecruiter.com slash jam. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Whoa! And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash jam. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash J-A-M. ZipRecruiter.com slash jam. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Every summer, and sometimes more often, George Clooney goes to Italy. And this year, he was joined by the one and only Barack Obama. Yes. So the Obamas kind of did a Mediterranean swing. God bless them. So That's uh, So great. many people are doing a Mediterranean swing right now. It's, it's true. making my head explode. I'm so jealous. I am as well, especially since it's still not summer in Los Angeles. I would it's like bleak, my money back. It's bleak here in Los Angeles. I would Angeles. like my money back. It does suck. I, I agree. Anyway, the Obamas, uh, you know, as befits two people who were president and first lady of the United States for a while, have been—they were in the south of France. They had lunch with Bono, and then they moved on to, like, Como. They went north. They moved away from the Mediterranean and to a lake, but there was still a boating experience— and we're hanging out with George Clooney and Amal Clooney. And then? Well, I suppose we should say the <laughs> drama that happened before. I believe they went to Italy to also attend a George Clooney event, which was the Clooney Foundation for Justice. But before they arrived, <laughs> there apparently was a uh, a plumbing issue. Mm-hmm. And this is from the Daily Beast via Corriere della Sera. <laughs> Um, when he had arrived at the Clooney household, things were out of hand, and the swimming pool was half full. The water was like ice. Clooney had asked his bodyguard, Giovanni, to call this guy, Dante, who spoke to the newspaper, and he said, I arrived, and they were all upset. Giovanni says to me, hurry up, hurry up, and then he uh, had to get to work. Immediately, mm-hmm. he was able to sort out the thumpometer and fix the drain, but it was a near disaster. Right, but then he, he sorted out the pool. And then Clooney came out in a, quote, sweaty Cosmigos t-shirt to take a selfie with the plumber. So this plumber's having a great time. Great for Can you call, like, a pool technician a, a plumber? Is that what, I guess, in Italy, you know? That's a wonderful question. I don't know. One drain, you know, you are an expert for all drains. This would be a—I know everyone's being like, this is so silly. But it would be a disaster if you go all the way to Italy for vacation in the summer and, and you, you can't, can't swim, swim in the pool. <laughs> It's vacation. I know. You take special time. You want things to be right. Does George Clooney have the best life of any living human? It's pretty good. Like, whose life would be better? 
He gets to do whatever projects he wants. He doesn't seem to care that no one ever likes them. He, <laughs> or watches them. Have you watched Catch-22? Watch. No. Have I. I have not. He seems like he has a wonderful wife who is like a substantive, lovely woman. They've got mm-hmm. two kids. They've yeah. got homes in London, Lake Como, California, New York. Like, they just, they hang out with the Obamas. He's a billionaire. He has so much money that he gives his friends duffel bags full of cash. That's true. And he was on ER as one of the hottest TV doctors that's of all true. time. Can I ask you a question? Sure. I think all of that's true. So why does he still do Nespresso commercials? To keep that money coming in? To keep Alexander and Ella flush with cash for the foreseeable future? I guess future? so, but like, doesn't, didn't he get, honestly, $500 million from Casamigos? Yeah, literally, he did. Yes. So I can't you invest that? Like, is, aren't, in, aren't returns on that I don't think enough? rich people are like, I've got enough. I'm done here. I, I don't think, think it's true. like that. I, I guess that's how you stay rich. My question is just why the Nespresso commercial is specifically. I don't know. They don't even air here, so I don't. I'm not, they do. They do. I saw one recently. I've never a seen one sports event, oh. and it was a new one. And I was like, "This is still happening." Nestle just owns so many things now. It's crazy. They own part of Blue Bottle. They just it's it's a wild anyway situation. The pool is fixed. Shout out to the pool technician slash plumber. I'm glad he got his selfie. And frankly, I'm glad that their vacation was not ruined. I think that if you are going on vacation, you deserve to have it go well. I don't want anyone to have a negative vacation, <laughs> even the Obamas or the Clooney's. I'm just so jealous of everyone who's just hanging out in Europe in the Mediterranean. I the know. Only, only thing that I've been telling myself to feel better about the fact that I don't have plans to go to the Mediterranean this mm-hmm. summer is that it's really crowded right now. And that could be a negative. It is true. Like, and let's be honest, not a lot of beach space. Just realistically. That's very true. It's going to be summer here eventually. Our summer goes on. It's true. It goes to October. Yeah. It'll be fine. The thing the thing I keep consulting myself with right now is that all the people on vacation right now are, they have children. Yeah. And so it's like school's out and so you have to go on vacation I've heard it's exhausting vacationing with kids. Yeah. So, not a real vacation. So we're, so they might not even you know, be enjoying it. In August when they are like the kids are back at school because school starts in the middle of August, which is just cruel. That's justice for kids. Weird country but, we've got here. Yeah. Then, you know, we'll have a nice time and there will be more space in the beach. You're right. Okay. Good note. Next. The Hills is back. Mm-hmm. It returned. I was extremely dismayed to find out it was a one hour long episode. I, <laughs> I presume it will all I don't be one hour. Oh my God, Amanda. It's, it's long. So I tried watching it and I turned it off. I, I like I, what, I took what a break. was the moment what you were like, okay, not not right now. I honestly just the beginning three minutes yes, that trailer. Yes. <laughs> the hills, like this is uncomfortable. The original Hills, first of all, it was 2006-ish. So it was a different, a different era of reality TV. We were less jaded. But second of all, part of the appeal was it was just like a trifle. It was so frivolous and silly and fun and like Yet Lauren just is like, just, you know, crying with mascara running down her Mm -hmm. face. It's just the ultimate juxtaposition of high melodrama and like low commitment. Or, you know, they actually go together, I suppose. And uh, it was a great, great, delightful show that influenced a whole generation of people to have how they think about Los Angeles, I think. This show is just a downer. Yeah. Incredibly depressing. It's so depressing that Heidi and Spencer are the most likable people on it, or like the least like bummers. They're like, we love each other. At least we've got each other. That's good. Audrina is going through a terrible divorce, and she just is like, I I think a lot of people have this feeling. She's like, I can't believe this is my life at 33. This is not what I imagined. Brody is married and obviously like not thrilled with married life. Stephanie Pratt has a new face. Misha Barton is like, I don't know, out of the wilderness. Yeah. Frankie Delgado is probably the like 
maybe the most successful of the group, other than like Brody Jenner, perhaps, because he has like several nightclubs. Essentially, he went on from like club promoter to like club partial owner. It just is like such a downer. It's crazy. Yeah. So it's a little bit like, you know, how like the people who are the kings and queens of high school, like you worry about them, like you peak in high school, then the rest of life Mm -hmm. is, I mean, just mathematically, if you peak at 17, then things are not going to go as well for the rest of your life. And it has that vibe for sure. And also like your 30s are realer than your 20s, I guess. But it is like a lot of people who peaked early and in unusual ways. It's also just like impossible to have Brody Jenner. Oh, by the way, a new person on this show is Tommy Lee and Pamela Anderson's son. Okay. His name is Brandon Lee. I didn't know who he was. And then Pamela Anderson's on this episode. Just, okay. just FYI. Oh, great. She shows okay. up. Okay. But like Brody does a sit down talking to the camera where he's like, oh, yeah. And then my dad came out and now is Caitlin. And that just can't be a sidebar. That can't be a sideline. It's pretty bizarre. It's also just like Brody is entangled in like the biggest celebrity family, mm-hmm. probably since the Kennedys, maybe even bigger, like just in terms of global reach as a result of social media. And it's like so weird to just have like a vestige of that, but it's not really going to be addressed. And frankly, the show is boring and depressing. Like I, none of these people are actually friends. It's super staged. The cliffhanger is that they're having at the end of the episode is that Frankie is throwing a welcome home party to Stephanie Pratt, who moved to London where she's famous for being on Big Brother like a million times. And it's like, how are Spencer and Heidi going to deal with Stephanie being back? And then they pretend that like Stephanie and Misha Barton are like really close friends from back when they were like doing clubbing together in their 20s. The other like really raw moment is Stephanie says to Misha Barton that she was arrested because she overdosed while shoplifting. And Misha is like, which came first? The sh- overdose <laughs> yeah. or shoplifting? And Stephanie's like, I don't know. And it's just really, it's very dark. These people's lives have been filled with challenges and arrests and significant setbacks since they were last on TV. So I will say, and I'm asking you this because you're the reality expert. I mean, it's all dark and it was like, so it was brutal and I just had to turn it off. It's like, I maybe I'll come back to this. But there is an argument that there is a reality show to be made that is like actually about the after effects of fame and, and reality TV fame. And the hills are like a yes, great case study for definitely. it. And it's like they have their raw material here, but it seems like they are not making that type of show. And it seems like instead they're trying to just pretend like everything is okay. Yeah, I don't understand. I guess they're they're trying to, to go for the hills like aesthetic and everything. Yeah. But instead of pivoting the show to what these people's lives have become, they're just trying to run it back. Yeah. It's kind of a um salvo for what MTV is. Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking about Lindsay Lohan's Beach Club, which is canceled, which is canceled because it was sort of the same situation where they were just kind of like, remember this person from this exact time and every like partying and everything's great and everything's not great. And the show was like both boring and tough to watch. Yeah. And no one really wanted to watch it. And it kind of seems like that will be. Do you think that there is a way to make a good version of The Hills right now with these people? Not with these people. I was going to say yes. And the answer is Vanderpump Rules. But um not with these people. Crucially, I also bring that up because the the two EPs of the show are um, Doug Ross and Alex Baskin, who are the EPs of Vanderpump Rules and The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. So they're kind of like the chroniclers of mm-hmm. TV Los Angeles at this point. But this sh- show 
just is very different. And the cast they're dealing with is really different. And it's just not as effective. I, I'm kind of, I'm like a little interested to watch to see how their style affects what this show becomes because they're so used to like the fabricated event that you plan your show around. Right. But the visual aesthetic is really different. I mean, it's like, it's kind of like classic Hills, Laguna Beach, Adam DeVello, Liz Gately type of stuff, you know? And it's just like the two actually don't go together very well. Yeah. Do you think it can get better? Like, do you, like, can reality, because this is the first episode, right? Yeah. And so the producers kind of see what they've got and where everyone is and then make changes. Yeah. So one thing that also, like, infects watching this is that it's just come out that the, the original Hills production made mm-hmm. them, like, redo lines and scripted storylines quite a bit. And so everything I watched, I was like, is this real? Like, what is real here? Because the main storyline, one of the main storylines of the episode is that Justin, Bobby, and Audrina, like, go back on a date. Mm-hmm. And Audrina says, this might not be true, but I think it is true. She says to Stephanie and Whitney that one of the first people to reach out to her when the news of her divorce broke was Justin Bobby. And I was like, is that true? Like, I need to know. And so I think part of the problem is that with The Hills, because it was so popular and there's been so much postmortem afterwards, it's very difficult to, like, believe what you're seeing. And so to your answer, to your question, like, can it get better? I think that's, like, really hard to overcome. Okay. I mean, I agree with you. I I have no desire to turn this episode back on. The other thing is just kind of like, as you... I don't need it to come back because I can, any curiosity I have about these people. Yeah, it's already answered. Is answered, but it's just, I can also follow it on Instagram, Yeah, you know? Like anything that I actually want to know about these people who were briefly in my life in 2006 or 2008 in a different capacity is like really available. So I don't need to sit down and watch the TV version of it. It also, it would feel more authentic to see them interacting on Instagram, like for Instagram. Like if it was like an IGTV show, I actually think that would be better. And you were watching like four minutes out of a time. Of, like, a meal with, like, right. these people or whatever. Right. But I guess that wouldn't work for MTV. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> definitely, definitely not. All right. Don't watch The Hills, but maybe read some books this summer. Let's talk about the books we're reading. Amanda. Yeah, I'm really excited. I've, I've been a negative Nancy on this podcast, I feel. Uh-huh. I don't know. Sometimes sometimes you just got to tell the truth. Sure. But um, my other truth is that I am really excited about the list of books that I have lined up for the summer. I haven't even read them yet. Let's run through your, well, so your titles. Yeah. So we should say we started this because— you were telling me about the book that you're reading right now. Yes, off mic right before we started. Yes. And we're like, oh, let's just do it on the pod. Okay, well, but talk about that book. Sure. Because it inspired the beginning of my list. I just really was longing for a, a low stakes, like middle brow book. Mm-hmm. And I mean that with like such love. Like for me, that is a compliment. And that led me to the lovely Barbara's Bookstore in Chicago, where I was over the weekend, where I purchased The Italian Teacher by Tom Rackman. And he wrote The Imperfectionist, which was kind of a sensation, like, I think around 2010. It's a series of vignettes about different journalists working at, like, an International Herald Tribune type of newspaper in Rome. And I really enjoyed that. I remember reading on Cape Cod, in fact, a summer read. Mm -hmm. And this is about a guy named Pinch who has—his father is, like, a semi-famous— artist and it's about this kid like trying to live up to his father's standards and then like preserve his legacy and it goes from Rome to Toronto to London to France and it's really great I, I'm like I'm loving it and I I am I feel bad that I called it middle brow it's really good it's like it's readable like, it's so it's like the definition of readable literary fiction which is like a whole category in publishing yeah. and I just like I'm really enjoying it, it like you know, it's not related to, like, world politics. No one's really mentioned anxiety in it. There's no—which, by the way, every single character on the Hills did refer to their own anxiety. And it just—it was, like, yeah. it was a very—it was jarring. It's, yeah. And so, I, anyway, I have enough on my own. I don't need others. Exactly. This yeah. this book is, like, free of that. It's, a, it's like, a lot about ego and, like, family. 
and art and like the art world. And I, I'm just like absolutely loving it. It's like immensely readable. It feels like, a, a, you know, more elevated than like a lot of like typical beach reads. Mm-hmm. And I am also, it has like really great descriptions of the streets of Rome. And I just, I'm finding it fantastic. So I highly recommend it. That sounds great. I had I have not read The Imperfectionist, so I just put that on the top of my the Imperfectionist list. Imperfectionist is really I'm fun. I'm really excited. So it's really fun. Number one on my list is The Imperfectionist, which I will be reading, and I will do a book report on this podcast later. I'm just going through the the lineup that I've got. Please do. I added this another novel this morning, just based on a New York Times uh, book review that great. looked. It's, so it's called The Most Fun We Ever Had. Oh, that sounds by good. Clara Lombardo, um, by Clara Lombardo. I obviously have not read it, but it is about four sisters. It's like a multi-generational saga of four sisters who live in Chicago. Oh, great. It seems great. And it was also blurbed by Rebecca Mackay, who Mm. wrote The Great Believers, which I'm reading right now. It's early. I recall Kate Nibbs really liking that book. Yes. Kate Nibbs and someone else, um, maybe Jacqueline Cantor, also Ringer Staffers. That one, I'm really enjoying it. I'm told it's really sad, but I'm going to— I'm, I'm going to make it. I am glad that you mentioned the blurbs because those mean so much to me. Like, I will read any book that Zadie Smith has blurbed. Of course. Which is how I came to Sally Rooney, actually. Yeah. And the author blurb means more to me than the critic blurb because it tells you who they targeted pre-publication yes. for, yes. like, their endorsement and, like, how they're positioning the book. I completely agree, though I often feel really guilty about it because— like, You're, like, a sucker for their marketing? Well, no, because the blurb machine is, like, a really— you have to beg people, and it ta- it's like the it uses a lot of the author's time. It uses a lot of the blurber's time, yeah. and also it just becomes like a favor who you know kind of contest. And like, think of all the people who can't get a Zadie Smith blurb sure. or can't get a Kate Atkinson blurb, which is kind of what I'll read. Though I got burned by that. There was one Kate Atkinson blurb. I quit that book like ten minutes in. I don't even remember what it was called. But I, but I agree that it, it if there is a certain author who I really love who's slapped on the front of the cover, I will buy it no questions asked even though I know that that is like book marketing pulling one on me but anyway okay fall for it anyway it worked for me this morning so we'll see I haven't purchased it yet but I'm going to okay so I have I'm taking vacation in August I'm really excited and I have four books like marked off already and these are my beach week book reads Mm -hmm. I'm not allowed to read them until then because it's really important that I save for the prime reading experience okay okay are you ready yes Summer of 69 by Ellen Hildebrand. Oh my God, I literally have that tab I, open yes, on my laptop right, right now. Because you know I love <laughs> Ellen Hildebrand. My, yeah. my friend Gilbert Cruz introduced me to Ellen Hildebrand like five years ago. She releases two novels a year. Incredible. They're both set on Nantucket. What's the best one? Oh God, someone just asked me this. I really like... Because I, I need some, some good reads for myself. Because everything I've got lined up is kind of depressing. Yeah. So I need some lightness. That's why I had to go to Tom Rackman. So I think that The Perfect Couple is very good. Okay. And The Island is pretty good. Okay, great. So basically, Ellen Hildebrand does a summer book and like a winter book. Is she like in the James Patterson zone of having a ghostwriter? No, I think that she does it. Or I choose to believe that she does it. I also really recommend her Instagram, by the way. Okay. Um, Sounds great. No, I think she does it herself, and she just writes quickly and has just a tremendous facility with plot, and also Nantucket, where they're all set. Okay, so Summer of 69, Ellen Hildebrand, that's my number one. The other is Big Sky, which is the new Jackson Brody novel by Kate Atkinson, one of my two favorite living novelists. Cool. It came out this week, I believe. So she does, in addition to writing Life After Life, which is 
my number one recommendation to anyone ever, any any novel. She also writes like a detective series. Mm. And Jackson Brody is the detective. Yeah. And so this is the latest one. Okay, great. great. Okay. Love a good genre novel for the beach. Yes, great. Speaking of genre novels, I got another one. It's called The Paris Diversion. And so I recently read this. It's by Chris Pavone. And I read the first book in the series called The Expats earlier this oh. summer. And it's like a basically Mr. and Mrs. Smith told from the woman's point of oh, view. Oh, great. That sounds fantastic. And it's like set in Europe and it's kind of a spy it's novel. And apparently there's a sequel. So I'm going to read that. And then the last one is How Could She by oh. Lauren Meckling. Do you yeah. know about this? Which seems like kind of like the media it book sure. of the summer about women in New York, which uh, once upon a time I was. Sure. So, and friendship. And I'm looking forward to that one. So those are my four books that I'm reading on the beach. So you I, you won't hear from me <laughs> about them until August because it's important to have things to look forward to. And that's what I'm looking forward to. Those sound great. Here's my list. Yeah. First of all, as you know, I love Me Before You by Jojo yes. Moyes, as do so many people. And she also just pumps him out. Really? It's pretty amazing. So she has a new one in paperback that I'm pretty excited about, and it's called The Peacock Emporium. I'm going to be honest. I don't even know what it's about. I think it's like someone. <laughs> is, I, I have no idea, but I don't care. I'll be by. It's, I think it's like about like a woman named what Susanna Peacock. What do you Peacock. think that it could be about if it's called the Peacock Emporium? I don't know that she. One of my favorite books by her is the Girl You Left Behind, which is about a painting left behind. So who the fuck knows? Okay, I have no idea. Is it about a zoo? I think the Peacock in question is a person. It's like someone's name. Oh, so it's okay. Mr. Megorium's Emporium kind of thing. Okay, I have no idea, but I'm excited about that. Someone just recommended Severance by Ling Ma to me, which is a, basically like a post-apocalyptic millennial ennui book. Oh, okay. So I'm going to I'm gonna read that. Great. I'm looking forward to. And I was planning on reading some Ellen Hildebrand. So this is... Love it. Truly exciting. I really cannot recommend Ellen Hildebrand enough um, for pure escapism. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So we'll see where else yeah. the winds of reading take me. We would me. love recommendations. Truly. Yeah. But I don't want anything too deep right now. That's true. I agree. I, I mean, just read The Argonauts by Maggie Nelson. Wow. And that's really you. You will really buckle down and do some heavy reading. I like rarely do. That's the thing. It took it out of me, though. That's I'm gonna my be dirty honest. secret is that I was like, no, nah, I'm not doing this. Remember when I read Anna Karenina like two years ago, yeah. and I'm still dining out on that's that. That's a long one. I know, but I read all of the farm scenes, and that's that really means impressive. that I will not be reading anything serious for another five years. <laughs> I also just read Motherless Brooklyn. I'm kind of like going back in time. I just basically want to read books from like 1995 to 2010 right now. Okay. And books that feel like they could have been from that era. Okay, so basically you just want to read The Secret History over and over again. I um, do. That's what I want. I, you know, I prefer The Goldfinch <gasps> so much. Really? That. Really? I, I like The Secret History too, but there's just a warmth, even in Donna Tartt's weird way, to The Goldfinch that I think The Secret History lacks. It's certainly not a warm book. I like a warm book. Yeah, I guess that's true. But the the ending of the Goldfinch, I just I know I yeah. still really want to go to Amsterdam though, never been. Okay, maybe um, we can arrange that. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. Um, that's my summer reading list. That's great. Yeah. Oh, I just wanted to say the Argonauts was very good, but just like two, it was just was like a like there's so much to parse and like so much to think about. Like every page, I just was like, I guess I should take notes as I read this. There's like so much oh, here. Oh, no. It wasn't even dense. Like some books are dense with like plot or people and like they cram so much on the page. Maggie Nelson crammed so many ideas into every page, which is really impressive, but also like too much for my mind right now, I think. So I, I thank you, Maggie Nelson, for making that only 150 pages. 
Yeah, that's good. I appreciate efficiency. Me too. I appreciate not wasting people's time. That's totally true. And, you know, and I appreciate ideas, but maybe not in the summer. That's where I am. (laughs) Maybe maybe we'll revisit (laughs) ideas in the fall. Well, on that note, just remember, we appreciate ideas, but perhaps not in the summer. I'm Juliet Litvin. <laughs> I'm Amanda Dobbins. We'll be back next week. This episode is brought to you by the movie Yesterday. It's in theaters June 28th. Yesterday is from Danny Boyle and Universal Studios, and it imagines a world where only one person remembers the existence of the Beatles. The movie stars Ringer Dish fave Lily James, Ed Sheeran, Kate McKinnon, and newcomer Himesh Patel. When the trailer first dropped, we at the Ringer had a lot of questions about what would happen to the world as we know it without the Beatles. Many of these questions we are still thinking about. And so today, in partnership with Universal, we wanted to discuss one in particular. Amelia, this is what I wanted to discuss with you. I'm so excited. Where would Yoko Ono be if only one person remembered the Beatles? (sighs) Oh, my God. Maybe she'd still be in Japan. I don't know. (laughs) So are you assuming she doesn't even get married to John Lennon? Yeah. Because he's not famous. he's not famous. So they don't even connect. That's yeah. a great point. So she might just be like living in obscurity in Tokyo yeah, or any other city in Japan. Right. Recording like screams. Doesn't she record screams? Herself screaming yes, or I, something? Yes, I believe that's correct. Yeah. Maybe she'd be doing that, but just like on a, not a high profile level. Would she be blamed for the breakup <laughs> of any significant group in any field of culture? You know what? Yes. I'm going to say so yes. So it's just part of her nature. It's just part of her nature, yes. Because it's become like a like something we say, Yoko, you know, as, as in like— She's a real Yoko. Yeah. Oh, she breaking Yoko up Ono the band. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I don't know what it would be, but she would get in there and Yoko the shit out of it. <laughs> I just feel like no matter what, Yoko Ono is going to be famous. She just has the yeah. air about her. That's true. Of someone bound for— for notoriety or for celebrity fame. of some kind. Yeah, she totally. Just, she just uh, wears it in a certain way where it seems so natural. And she's, I don't want to say she's comfortable with the blame, nor do I think she should have <laughs> perceived it. Sure. But I just feel like attention is not something she's, she's shies away from. from. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I just feel like no matter what, she would have been famous. Maybe she just would have been a Japanese celebrity. Ooh, Maybe it would have cool. been all of Asia. Maybe it would have been international. Who, who's to say? But I think no matter <laughs> what, Yoko Ono would have been famous. I agree. I think so. She's just like, Yoko Ono. I mean, I feel like her, no matter what, her and Paul McCartney, he 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 too <laughs> they would find seems each other. very comfortable with fame. I don't know if they'd find each other, oh, okay. but they'd be famous. But they'd be famous. Would they be in a decades-long feud? It's a great question. Doubtful. They probably wouldn't have crossed paths. Or maybe, maybe they could have fallen they, in love. They could have. <laughs> I doubt that. Or uh, yeah, well, I could. You know what? I could also see her dating someone very young mm. and that making the news. Not too late for that. It's not. It's really not. So. <laughs> Any aspiring singers? Yoko Ono and like Sean Mendes. <laughs> I never thought of that one, but sure, why not? Who were you thinking of? Well, I was thinking like a member of One Direction because of like the boy band thing. It's not so different than Sean Mendes. That's true. That's that is definitely true. I could see like Harry, Harry Styles. Yes, like I feel like he would like that. He'd be like, they'd be fashionable because he. I feel like he likes the older women. Oh, for and sure, they love him. Remember when he dated Caroline Flack? Yeah, he was like what seventeen, and she yes. was like thirty-seven. Yes, I, I've got questions. But those that's for another day. <laughs> to see if this question about Yoko Ono gets answered and all the other questions we have, and if they are answered, watch the trailer today and catch yesterday in theaters on June 28th. 